Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Matthew chapter 5. Um, we're going to begin this section, or reading in the section titled The Beatitudes, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And the word of the Lord says this. Seeing the crowd, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. The 19th century Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon once wrote, The man who is quite satisfied with the name of a Christian without the life of a Christian will never see God nor anything at all until his eyes are divinely opened. Well, I want to welcome you back to the third part of our series on the Beatitudes titled Hashtag Blessed. And in this series, we've been talking about what it means to truly be happy, what it means to be blessed. And in this series... Um, we've talked about a lot. And so the thing is, is if you were not here for the, for any of the last couple of weeks, then you might be feeling like you're walking in into the middle of a conversation that you might feel like that you're coming in and not knowing all the details, but that's okay because we're going to help you. Number one, you can get all caught up on any of the messages in this series and even listen to this one later on. Um, by going to our church website, fbcboron.org, uh, or you can go to our SoundCloud page, and the address is listed in your bulletin, and you can either listen online, or you can download to your MP3 player um, or your, your tablet and listen to it later. Uh, it's a good way to get caught up. Number two, what I'm going to do this morning, though, is I'm going to take a few minutes, and I'm going to do a quick review of some of the things that we've covered so far, so at least you have some sort of context um, to know what, we're t- what we've been talking about in this series, okay? And so in this series, we opened up by talking about the fact that we all want to be happy. Every last one of us, right? We want to experience happiness in our lives. We love that feeling in our hearts when we experience happiness, even if it's only for a moment, right? Like graduation. What about getting married or the birth of a child or winning a championship, or getting a promotion at work, buying a new car, or the happiness that we feel when someone loves us back, that we love deeply. We all want happiness. We all desire it. We hunger for it. We pursue it, right, on some level or another. Happiness is something that we chase after. In fact, in week one, we talked about how many people pursue happiness in their lives like some sort of happiness junkies. Right? Sometimes something happens in our life, we feel happy, we enjoy it, we get excited, we, we feel that high, we're smiling, we're laughing, we feel that satisfaction. And then soon after, at some point, there is always the crash, the letdown. We come off of that happiness high, and then we are off looking for the next fix. 
And so many of us will just turn to about anything, will we'll pursue anything to feel happy again. Some people will pursue money or power or hobbies or relationships or work or careers or possessions or, or sex or politics or, or gossiping. Or substances like alcohol and drugs. And even their own children's accomplishments. They look to those things to be happy. We all want happiness. And most people will do just about anything to get it. And as we talked about, happiness. The happiness that we find in the things of this world. All that happiness that might come is only temporary. That's why so many people need a constant fix of it. They need a constant dose of it. Because no matter what source of happiness it is, it doesn't last. Permanent happiness is not found in anything that the world has to offer us. Not in money, not in getting married, not celebrity status, not a career, not not our children, not even our friends. None of these things create the long-term happiness we seem to crave. Understand, many things do bring short-term happiness, right? Talking to my son on the phone, right, while he's... Away brings me happiness, right? But as soon as I hang up, I miss him, right? Having my teachers tell, having the teachers tell my kids or tell me about my kids that they're doing great in school and they're great kids, blah, 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 blah. I love that. It makes me happy. And then on the ride home, they're arguing and fighting over something stupid. Not happy, right? You know, or how about, you know, when people, you know, I love it when people will say to me, hey, you know what? As a pastor, you've really made a difference in my life. That, that, that makes me happy. It brings happiness to my life. Yes. And then shortly after, I always get that phone call from that one guy that says, you know, you're a flaming idiot because you're not taking my side. You know, I mean, not happy. We have our ups and downs. I find short-term happiness in lots and lots of things in my life. And so do you. And these things are good, right? These things are good because they point to something better, right? But no matter how important things are to us, no matter what it is, none of these things are going to bring the source None of these are the source of long-term personal happiness that we're seeking. That kind of happiness that we're looking for is only found in one place. And that's a personal relationship with God. It only comes from the things of God. In fact, we hunger for that, as we shall see in a little bit. Now, Jesus promised that we could have real happiness. Long-term happiness, the kind of happiness that's available to only those who follow him. And he calls that happiness makarios, which is a Greek word, right? And that Greek word is translated many times as happy or fortunate or being in an enviable position where people envy you for what you have. And that happiness is not simply a temporary kind of happiness. It's a life-changing, life-altering happiness. It's a happiness that comes not from the world, but from God himself. And the way this makarios is translated most often in the Bible is the word blessed. Okay? It means to be supremely blessed. And this word means blessed by God himself. It's a kind of blessing and happiness that exceeds any happiness that's found in the world. And Jesus tells us that we can be deeply happy like this. We can be supremely blessed. But this blessing is not found in money. It's not found in power. It's not found in stuff. It's not found in, in, in hobbies or sports or even work. It's not even found in anything in the world. This kind of happiness is only found in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says to us this. 
Matthew chapter 5, blessed, deeply happy are the poor in spirit. Blessed, in an enviable position are those who mourn. Blessed, well off are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And, and look at this one. Blessed, supremely happy okay, are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And as we talked about, this really seems to be a perplexing list of things that Jesus said will bring us blessing. Because it seems like the opposite of that stuff is really what I look for in the world to be happy. Blessed are you when you're not being persecuted, is what my mind tells me. Blessed are you when everyone likes you and doesn't have anything bad to say about you. That's what my instincts tell me. But, but Jesus says blessedness, true happiness, lies in the things like being poor in spirit, mourning, being meek, and being persecuted. He said that blessedness, true happiness, actually comes from having the right heart attitude towards God. It's about having the right perspective and attitude towards the Lord. In fact, in week one, we looked at the first two blessed statements that Jesus made to prove that out. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirits, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's what Jesus is saying is blessed are those who understand that they are spiritually broken, that they are, they are, they are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed is the one who understands that they are completely, totally dependent upon God. Because that person is going to be rewarded with the kingdom of heaven, not because they've done anything to deserve it, but because God, by his grace, gives it to them. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn and weep over their sin, because that sorrow for sin leads to repentance. They're blessed because they're comforted with the knowledge that all their sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. And then week two, we talked about Jesus' statement, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And what we discovered is Jesus in the statement is not saying that Christians are, are, are weak and unable to stand up for themselves. What he's saying is that, peop, that, that, that those who are meek are those who are willing to set aside their own power. And they're willing to restrain themselves in meekness for God's sake and his glory. Those are the ones that are, who are truly blessed. You see, true happiness, true blessedness comes from orienting our attitude and our heart and our mind toward God in the right way. We, we, we recognize that we're poor in spirit, bringing nothing at all into the relationship with God. And being then in a relationship with God, our attitude towards sin changes as we mourn over the sin that we once loved. And as we grow in that relationship with God, we gladly set aside our own agenda and our own glory for God's glory. We become meek or powerful under control because we submit our whole life and our will to God. And then we adopt these attitudes of blessedness. When we, when we make that a part of our life, it says that we're given the kingdom of heaven. We enjoy the comfort of being forgiven. And we look forward to the time that we'll forever live in peace and enjoy with God. Now this week, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall 
be satisfied. And at first blush, this seems like a pretty straightforward statement. And for the most part, it is. Blessed, right? Happy, extremely happy are those who hunger and thirst, who deeply desire for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That desire will be fulfilled. The person who deeply desires righteousness you know, is blessed because that desire one day will be satisfied. Right? And we can certainly see the direction that Jesus is going here. Right? And we could probably take this text and make an application out of it in this text. Right? Right? And we can actually like, you know, apply it without actually having to study the context too much. Right? In fact, we can say that you and your life will be blessed if you hunger and, and deeply desire for righteousness, for the righteousness of God in your life. And so go out then and then hunger for, and desire righteousness. In fact, William MacDonald... In his commentary on the Bible says this, he says, These people have a passion you know, for righteousness in their own lives. They long to see honesty, integrity, and justice in society. And they look for practical holiness in the church. And I agree with that assessment that you can apply it that way. But I believe that there's actually a lot more here than just this. I believe that Jesus is actually making a much bigger statement as we have seen. These are powerfully crafted statements. And to understand this statement, I believe that there are two important questions that we have to look at and address today. Number one, what is this righteousness that Jesus is talking about in the verse? Right? What is it that we should be hungering and thirsting for? Jesus, right, says to hunger for righteousness. Is he talking about just the generic definition of righteous, like by just being good? Or is there a specific understanding that he wants us to, to embrace? Number two, what is it to hunger? Well, what is this, the hunger that Jesus is talking about? What is it to thirst? I mean, we know what it is to physically hunger, right? But what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? How, do, how does that desire and that hunger then end up leading to the satisfaction? Those are the two things that we need to dig into and wrap our heads around to really get clear about this truth that Christ is teaching. So let's start with, with the first one. What is the righteousness that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6? Now, one of the things that we've been talking about from the very beginning of the series is that all texts must be read, interpreted, understood, and applied in the context of Scripture. Because if we don't understand the context, we're not going to understand what Jesus is actually teaching. And last week, the message was... Not, uh, last, I mean, two weeks ago, the message was a perfect example of that, Right? Because what we learned from, from week two is that you cannot fully understand Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, where Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Right? You're not going to fully understand what Jesus is saying there unless you understand that he is quoting from Psalm 37. Because Psalm 37 is the key to understanding what Jesus is driving at when he says the meek will inherit the earth. Jesus was speaking to a Jewish audience who knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew exactly what the context was. Right? And they knew where Jesus was coming from. And so understanding that context was critical to us. Now, it's the same in this text. If we want to understand what Jesus means by righteousness in this text, we need to understand the context of what he's saying. Well, the thing that we remember is that this 
section, this beginning, the Beatitudes, is actually an introduction to a much larger section titled the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, Jesus talks about righteousness five times. Five times. In this one sermon, Jesus makes a point to talk about righteousness. And so it's safe to say that Jesus is making a point about what righteousness is. And so to understand what it means, right, we need to understand in context how it is that Jesus talks about it throughout the sermon. And the first mention of it is our text, which is verse 6. Right? But the second time he mentions it is in verse 10 where he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does the righteousness here in verse 10 mean for verse 6? Does it give us a clue about what it means for verse 6? Well, in order to answer that question, we really have to understand and talk about the literary context of this passage. You see, we talk about context all the time. Right? We talk about the historical context. What is happening in history when this was written down? That's always important. We talk about the cultural context. What's, what's culture like? Who's the people he's talking to? Jews or Gentiles? What's their culture like? What's their understanding? We talk about that because it affects our understanding of the text. Right? We also talk about what's the immediate context. Right? What did he say before and after that text that, that influences the meaning? But to fully understand the Beatitudes and understand what righteousness is, you have to understand that there is something called the literary context at work here. You see, there's a way that Jesus structures what he's saying that impacts the meaning of what he's saying. You see, what Jesus says in the text, is there's a structure to it. There's a literary structure to it. And that structure affects the meaning of what Jesus says. Now, the reason why that's important is because we wouldn't have never picked up on it because we're not Jewish. But Jews always use these kinds of devices to make things memorable, to make a bigger point. And for us to understand where Jesus is going, we have to see what's happening in this structure. In fact, let me show you what what I'm talking about here. You see, in this section here, there are eight total Beatitudes. They span from verse 3 to verse 10. Now, verse 11 is a continuation of verse 10. But there's really eight big ideas here, eight Beatitudes. All right? And what you need to notice here is that verse 3, which is the very first Beatitude, and verse 10, the last uh, Beatitude, that, that these two verses serve as kind of like bookends to this section, Right? That they encapsulate the thought that Jesus is making. And this is confirmed by the fact that both of these verses have in them the idea that that, that captures the thought that Jesus is trying to communicate. And the idea is this. It is receiving the kingdom of heaven. Okay? In verse 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Verse 10 says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes begin with the kingdom of heaven and they end with the kingdom of heaven. And I'm telling you, that is not an accident. Jesus spoke these words this way for a reason. Jesus is drawing our attention to something. There is a complete thought that he's trying to communicate here. Another thing to notice is that These Beatitudes break down into two groups of four, all right? Two groups of four. And and each Beatitude in each group 
the last beatitude in each group has a reference to righteousness. I don't know if you see that, right? The first group ends with verse 6, where Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the second group of four ends with verse 10, where Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. So the end of the two groups is with righteousness. One hungering for it because it's lacking, and the other one then being persecuted for it because it seems to be abounding. Now, now that you see the structure here, and it's beginning to take shape here, that the beginning and ending of, uh, is, is with the kingdom of heaven, and then each group ends with a statement on righteousness, what about the structure of the other Beatitudes? Is there a structure to them? Well, yes, there is. When you look at the first three Beatitudes, you will notice that they are a description of emptiness and brokenness. Blessed are those who are, what? Poor in spirits. Number two, blessed are those who are mourning, weeping, crying over sin. Number three, blessed are you who are meek, right? And that you restrain the power that you have to get your own agenda done. That you refrain from asserting your rights. You refrain from retaliating. These are all descriptions of blessed emptiness. So isn't it natural that this blessed emptiness would be followed by a blessing upon hunger? I mean, aren't people who are typically empty eventually hungry? Wouldn't it make sense if you're empty and poor in spirit and you mourn deeply over sin? Does it make sense that that same person would be hungry for righteousness? Now let's look at the other three. What do we find there? More emptiness? Well, not at all. In fact, just the opposite What we find in these are overflow, right? Blessed are the merciful, overflowing mercy, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, overflowing purity. Blessed are not just the peaceful, but the peacemakers, those who have have the, the fullness and the overflow and the resources to go out and make peace. You see the contrast between the first set and the second set? That's not an accident, And is it natural that you would expect that when mercy is abounding and purity that is radical that comes from within us is abounding in your life, and then when peace is being made, that you'd be criticized or that you'd be persecuted before that righteousness? I mean, because look at the world. The world is not calling for mercy. It's calling for vengeance. It's calling to settle the score. You see it all the time. College campuses, demonstrations in our own country. Is the world crying out for purity? No, the exact opposite of that. Is the world crying out for peacemakers? No, the world is crying out for division. The world screams for division. The world doesn't want mercy and purity and peacemaking. The world doesn't want or hunger for righteousness. The world persecutes those who do. Which, by the way, leads us to the definition of righteousness. If the first three Beatitudes end in the hunger for righteousness and that hunger and satisfaction spill over into mercy and purity and peacemaking. And then that gets met with persecution for righteousness. You know what the definition of righteousness is. Righteousness is mercy. Righteousness is purity. Righteousness is peacemaking. 
That's what righteousness is. That's our definition. Righteousness, according to Jesus, is mercy, purity, and peacemaking. That's what verse 10 tells us about verse 6. And this is confirmed for us in the third use of righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, in chapter 5, verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds... That of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And in this text, we see again, you know, righteousness and the kingdom of heaven connected together. And what Jesus is saying is that there is a righteousness of the Pharisees who felt self-righteous because of their rule keeping. And he says that doesn't lead to the kingdom of heaven. The righteousness that, that we need, that we need to hunger for, must be different than their righteousness. And this, this statement is followed then by six illustrations of how different that needs to be. He gives us six illustrations of surpassing righteousness, what that looks like. In fact, let's look at them. The first one is found in verses 21 through 24. And what we discover in this text is not only are we to avoid killing people, right? That's what the law says. But we are to also put away our anger against our brother and instead seek peace. The second one, verse 27 through 30. We must not only refrain from committing adultery, we must also live by a higher standard and refrain from looking at another person lustfully. We must not entertain sexual fantasies. What is that? That is purity. The third one, verses 31 through 32. We must not condone divorce, even though divorce is legal, even though that there is an Old Testament provision for divorce. We must surpass the righteousness of these people that, that makes peace, that makes peace with a hardness of heart and keep our covenant commitments and refuse to marry those who won't keep them. The fourth one, verses 33 through 37. Not only are we to keep our oath, not only are we to keep our promises, but we are to walk in such a way and walk in purity to the point that you don't even need to make an oath. You just say yes or no, and your word is good enough. The fifth one. Don't live by the righteousness of the Pharisees who would retaliate for the wrong done to them. Whew, this one's a hard one. Right? Instead... Of retaliating, live for peace and do what? Turn the other cheek. And more than that, do good to those who treat you with evil. And the sixth illustration of this righteousness is verse 40, 43 through 46. Not only should we love our neighbors like the Pharisees did, but you should go way beyond that and be merciful and love your enemies. So it's clear what Jesus is talking about here. Unless your righteousness surpasses the rule keeping of the Pharisees, you won't get into heaven. Jesus is saying true righteousness is not about keeping rules or keeping the law. It's about mercy. It's about purity. It's about peacemaking. And this confirms the definition that we have of righteousness. And this definition is confirmed when Jesus uses the word again for the fourth time in chapter 6, verse 1, where he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before people 
before other people in order to be seen by them, then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Because practicing that righteousness to get people to like you and to notice you is neither merciful or pure or even peacemaking. And again, in, and for the fifth time, he uses the, last, the word, the last time of righteousness. It's found in chapter 6, verse 33, where he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek it. And all these things will be added unto you. Jesus is saying, don't be greedy about the things here on earth. Don't worry about them, those things. Seek first the kingdom of God and practice mercy and purity and peacemaking. And not only will you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven that can't be stolen or wear out, but God will take care of your needs on earth too. So we know that what righteousness is in the sermon. Righteousness is being pure and doing good, especially mercy and peacemaking. That is the answer to the first question. The second question, what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? What is that experience? What is he talking about when he, when he uses these pictures of physical hunger, stomach growling? I know some of you are probably hungry right now. I think I am. What is this hunger that gets translated into the spiritual desire for righteousness? I mean, hunger and thirst... What you have to understand are not just, desi- not just desires. They're not just wants. They are needs. You understand that, right? Because if you don't eat, if you don't drink water, it's just eventual. You'll die. It's not rocket science. It's not magic. If you don't eat and you don't drink water, you will die. Food and water are essential to your physical life. And so in essence, what Jesus is saying is blessed is he who needs, not wants, but needs like food and water, the righteousness of God. A person who needs the righteousness of God, a person who is hungry for it, a person who is thirsting desperately for it. That person, Jesus says, is blessed, happy, right? Because that need, that hunger, that thirst will eventually be satisfied. It will be met And not just temporarily, but permanently. So we need to understand what it means to hunger this way. To need righteousness this way. And I think we all, on some level, understand need. Like I said before, if you don't get food, what happens? You die. If you don't get water, you die. If you don't get medical attention or the shelter, or or if you're trapped and you get rescued... Eventually, what happens to you? You perish, you die. Well, it's the same with righteousness. If you don't get the righteousness that we need, we will perish. We will die spiritually. Without righteousness, we will not see God. Righteousness is is essential. It's an essential need to our spiritual life. The same way food and water are essential to our physical life. We hunger for it. We thirst for it. For it because we need it. Notice what Jesus is saying here. Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. Not blessed are those who try to be righteous on their own. Not blessed are those who seek to become righteous. Blessed are those who hunger for it. Because they will be satisfied. 
It says the need will be met. That need is going to be met not because I'm trying to be righteous on my own. That need is going to be met because we hunger for it. You thirst for it. You desire it deeply with a passion. You thirst for mercy and to be merciful. You hunger for purity and to be pure in heart. You desire to be peaceful and to be a peacemaker. You hunger for those things. You need those things. And you are blessed by that need and that hunger because it will be satisfied not by you, but by God. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, it means that the hunger that you have The hunger that you have for these things is really an indication that you have a relationship with God. Because that hunger, that desire only comes from God. Because think about this. It says, blessed. If you hunger, well, what if you don't hunger for that? Then you're not blessed. Well, why? Why wouldn't you be blessed? Why would you not be happy? Why would you not be in an enviable position not to hunger? It seems to me not being hungry is a blessing. Well, what happens if you desperately need food in your life, but you don't feel hunger? You see that the hunger that you have for food is a God-given desire that drives you toward something you vitally need. It moves you toward the food that you need to survive. That thirst moves you towards the water you need to survive. But if you don't feel hungry, you won't eat. Because if you don't feel hungry, you won't realize you're in need. If you don't feel hungry, then you will perish without even realizing that you even have a problem. It's the same thing with thirst. Thirst. It's the same thing here. If you don't have a hunger and a thirst to be merciful and to be pure in heart and to be a peacemaker, if you don't feel a need for those things, if you don't desire the righteousness that comes from God, you may be in more trouble than you actually realize. Because you may be spiritually dead. Which means you don't have a relationship with God. You see, we all start off that way. We all start off spiritually dead and only God makes us spiritually alive. And only God can give you this hunger. Which means if you don't hunger for righteousness, then the chances are pretty good that you're spiritually dead. Which means you have not been saved yet. Which means you don't have a relationship with God yet. Now before you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on there. I've been in church my whole life. I gave my heart to Jesus when I was five years old. You know, I walked down that aisle 15 times last week, right? I grew up in church. I've served for years. I asked Jesus in my heart years ago. Well, understand this. Being religious does not make you spiritually alive. It only makes you religious. You have to hear me on this. Being religious does not make you spiritually alive. Being a church goer does not give you a relationship with Jesus saying, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? Don't make you saved. Just because you know all the lingo and just because you've heard all the worship songs and just because you have an I love my church t-shirt in your closet doesn't make you spiritually alive. In fact, near the end of the sermon that Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount, he says... On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name 
and cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus said they might even have the right theology and they might even call me Lord. They might even be orthodox in their teachings, right? And they will even go out into the world and they will do works in my name. Good works, probably. Many of them will even exhibit charismatic gifts like prophesying and casting out demons, laying hands on people. And they'll do many, many wonderful things in my name. And I will declare to them, I will say to them, never knew you. We don't have a relationship. You don't belong to me. So I'll say, get away from me. You're not mine. You're a worker. You're not a worker of righteousness. You're a worker of lawlessness, a worker of unrighteousness. You hunger for religious experience, but you don't hunger for righteousness. You see, the hunger for righteousness is a blessing because it is a God-given sign that you have been converted and that you belong to him. It is a sign that you have been made spiritually alive and you are aware of your overwhelming need for him. You hunger to be merciful because God showed you amazing mercy and grace to save you. You hunger to be pure because the blood of Christ was spilled to wash you clean from your sins. You thirst to make peace with other people because God killed his son so he could make peace with you. As wretched and vile as you are. As we said, it's about the right heart attitude towards God. Blessed is the poor in spirit because he understands that his salvation is all 100% about God. He or she understands that what he did, that he can do nothing to deserve God's grace. God did it all. We did nothing. And blessed is the one who mourns and is sorrowful for his sins. Not because sin disqualifies me from the grace of God, but because God saved me. He let his son hang on the cross. Because of my sin. And now I've been washed clean of that sin. And I can see that that sin is destructive. And it hurts people. And it hurts God. And it creates distance between me and my God. And blessed is the meek. Because we gladly set aside our own need to exert our power to defend ourselves. Or fight back or settle the score or to retaliate. Because being in a relationship with God, we desire for God to be glorified and not ourselves. Because we desire that God would be lifted up more than ourselves. We desire God more than our own comfort. And blessed is one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Because to hunger for righteousness, to thirst for mercy and purity and peace, is to hunger and thirst for God himself. You understand that? Because only in God are those things satisfied. Only through God Can these things be fulfilled? Only in God do we receive mercy and purity and peace. Only through God can we be merciful and pure in heart and have the abundance to go out into the world and make peace with other people. You see, the Beatitudes, the reason why we're blessed, the reason why we are happy is because because each one of these things 
is a God-given emptiness, a God-given hunger that points our hearts and our minds to the only one and the only thing that will ever satisfy us. Even our pursuit of happiness that drives us toward all kinds of pursuits is an indicator that we have a deeper need Not a need for stuff, not a need for power, not a need for popularity, not a need for accomplishment, but a fundamental heart-level need for God. And blessed are those who need, whose hunger and thirst, whose greatest desire points not to the things of this world, but points them towards God and His righteousness. Because they are the ones who will be supremely happy. Because they will be satisfied. Satisfied as no one else before them. Nothing in this world will bring you satisfaction that you crave. Nothing in this world will fill that blessed emptiness in your life. Only God and his righteousness can do that. So blessed are you when that is your hunger. Blessed are you when that is your need. Because Jesus promises that you will be satisfied. In fact, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Blessed are you when, the hung, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness because you'll be satisfied. Now, what do we do with this? On this hot, sticky day with this theology. Well, this is one of those messages that should really grab your attention. This is one of those messages that should sober us right up. It should cause us to stop and think. Because the question that you have to ask yourself, the question that you have to wrestle with, the question that you have to get face-to-face with yourself in the mirror over is this. Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do I desire to be merciful? Do I desire to be pure in heart? Do I desire... To make peace. And the answer to that question will give you a direction. Because if you answer, yes, I hunger for those things. And praise the Lord. Worship Him. And continue to grow in your walk with Him. And grow to spiritual maturity. If the answer is, well, sometimes. Then it's time to examine your devotional and your spiritual disciplines in your life. Because if the answer is sometimes then the chances are either you're not spending enough time in God's word or you're not spending enough time in prayer or in worship or fellowship or serving. You're not doing the things that bring you closer to God or to spiritual maturity in your walk. But the good news is that's easy to fix. You can fix that by focusing on the spiritual disciplines that draw you into the presence of God, that help you to abide in Christ, which are regular Bible study, prayer, fellowship. And if you need help with this, let me know. Come talk to me. Because I'll happy to talk to you about it. In fact, we've done whole series on this very subject. Whole series on all the spiritual disciplines that help us to abide in Christ. Now, if you're someone who does not hunger for righteousness, if you're someone who doesn't feel a need to be merciful, if you don't feel a desire for purity, if you don't hunger for peace and to make peace, Let me warn you. You may actually have not met God. You may not have actually put your trust in God. You may not actually have have life-saving faith 
in Christ. And I know that you might say, well, I'm a regular churchgoer. I understand that. You might have made a profession of faith when you were younger. I get that. You might even love to listen to worship music, you know. And But hear what Jesus said. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? For every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Healthy trees. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. And it seems pretty clear that from this sermon, that one of the fruit of being in a relationship with God is a God-given hunger for righteousness. And if that hunger is missing in your life, then I would be concerned. And let me just tell you what I would do. I would do this. I would get on my knees. And I would confess with my mouth that I'm a sinner in desperate need for God to rescue me. And I would confess that I'm poor in spirit because I have nothing at all to offer God to make him love me. I have nothing to give God to make him accept me. I'm completely helpless and at his mercy. And then I would weep. I would acknowledge the awfulness and the ugliness and the heinousness of my sin. The sheer ugliness of the stains in my life. I would beg for Jesus to rescue me from that. And then I would declare with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, not just on Sunday. But Lord of my entire life. And I would offer to commit to him, to follow him wherever he leads me. Because he is the Lord. And I would believe with all my heart that Jesus indeed died for my sins, was buried, and three days later was raised back to life. And I would stay on my knees praying to God, Lord, give me the hunger. Give me that need. Grant grant me that holy emptiness that I crave, right? That I would crave to be merciful, that I would desire to be pure in heart, and I would desperately need to be a peacemaker because I want to be confirmed. Deep in my heart that I belong to you. I want to be blessed in the knowledge that you know me and that you rescued me. And that hunger for righteousness gives me that. Well, if that's where you are today, then come talk to me. Don't just sit there and pray the sinner's prayer the first time or the 50th time or the 100th time. Come talk to me after the service. Or you can come to my office during the week. Or you can fill one of those information request cards in front of you and give me your phone number and I'll call you and I'll talk to you. And I'll help you walk through the scriptures so you can have that assurance of salvation. So that you can have the life that God promises and the holy hunger that he gives to us that ensures that we have it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be satisfied. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that, our, that your word would pierce all of our hearts. Your word says that, uh, that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword that divides the soul from the spirit, like from joints from marrow. Let it pierce all of us. Let it divide us. Let us see ourselves clearly. 
Let this be something that we take seriously, a warning that we would heed. And we'd examine ourselves, Lord, do I hunger after your righteousness? Or do I'm just, am I just a pretend Christian? Am I just somebody that says I love Jesus because I want the benefits of just being in this club? Or, or do I really, have I entered into this life-saving relationship that's transforming me? Because I do know for a fact that if I come into contact with you, something's going to happen to me. I'm going to be changed. Your grace changes me. Your mercy changes us. So help us all to examine our own hearts, Lord. And if we have that desire, then give us that desire all the more, Lord. Help us to desire and thirst and hunger for that righteousness. Help us to to long for the day that you will fulfill all your promises. That there will be no more pain and no more suffering and no more hurts. That one day that we will all stand in your glorious presence forever and ever and ever. Worshipping you and loving you all the days of our lives. Lord, raise up a people in this church who are passionate for your name. Send them out into the community and into the world. May we be a people who fulfill that mission to be a loving community of Christ followers, passionately in pursuit of you, deeply connected to one another and completely committed to sharing the hope of the gospel of Jesus with our community and our world, Lord. Help us to be those people, Lord. We love you, we praise you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. For listening, you've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org and please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.